0: Hello everybody. What's shaken? What's shaken and bacon? Today's June 17th, 2020. Uh it's been a beautiful week here in Southern Ontario, Canada. Um still at home, not much else has changed, but you know, such is life. Uh welcome. Before we get really digging into the uh the questions of which I'm already seeing quite a few, so thank you very much. Uh I will also just note again, uh, especially if you're listening to this audio only that any donations you send in during this live stream and any others between now and the end of the month, uh, will be matched by myself and submitted to the black girl hockey club. Uh, they're already up to, uh, some really interesting work over there over the next few days, even for some Juneteenth celebrations amongst other things. Uh, so, uh, anything counts. Um, so yeah, just to keep that in mind, and if you're listening to the audio only, I left my PayPal link in the, um, in the description of last week's podcast, and I will do the same for this week. Or you can just donate directly to them. I'm sure, uh, Renee would be very thankful. So, um uh, that's just that between now and the end of the month. So, thank you in advance. Uh, yeah, but busy week for me, uh, back on the video train as well, uh, should be done one for patrons tomorrow, uh, which means it'll be out for McKean's people on Friday, uh, shooting another one, probably Friday, uh, and then editing it as fast as I possibly can and getting right back up to it next week. Uh, so I'm excited, uh, starting to get back into the swing of things, still doing a lot of the data work. I don't know why my chat box is, uh, doing what it's doing right now, but I don't mind being greeted so many times. I'm totally cool. Um, maybe I'll just turn it off. Cause it's kind of distracting me. There we go. That's a, that's better. Um, okay. So yeah, uh, the rankings came out today. Uh, good feedback on it. I'm, I'm glad there wasn't too much yelling. Uh, it was not planned that it was going to come out the same day as elite prospects, but that's totally cool. JD was cool about it. And JD, uh, and his team were hard at work putting that together. Um, so if you have any questions or comments about that specifically, I'm more than happy to field those here, uh, or anywhere really. Um, but yeah, so those were fun to put together. I don't imagine they'll change a tremendous amount between now and the actual draft. Uh, I'm pretty locked in. Uh, I've seen most of the guys play that I want to actually see play. Um, there are some guys that I want to track that I haven't started yet that might get bumped up or down, uh that, that ranking between now and the end of the year. Um, but, or by that, I mean, by now and between now and the draft, but generally speaking, that's kind of the feeling that I've got, uh, of the landscape. And, uh, I, I also know, I, I left a little blurb at the end about, you know, length of lists and, you know, there's been a lot of talk about that recently. Uh, and I guess from my perspective, you know, I, the way that I do my work is kind of, you know not going to sit in a rink and watching guys play hockey and take notes as they play um mine is a little bit different i watch one singular player nonstop uh with no breaks and do multiple games and track data watch shifts multiple times to make sure i'm not missing anything uh and i think in my view that allows me to cast a bit of a wider net i don't i don't feel like i watch guys after the 6th or 7th game, and they do very much that I really don't expect. What does happen a lot, I will say, is that as I'm tracking games, the data is about is relatively stable around 3 or 4 games, depending on, you know, maybe it's a consistent 3 or 4 game sample, or, you know, usually it's closer to 4 games if one game was really bad or really good, uh, and it still hasn't quite equalized out to what the player actually is. So, you know, the general gist for me is kind of like, Data-wise, a few games is decent enough to get a decent sample of the basics, Uh, and and in those viewings, you also I also have noticed that you kind of see the player, and when you track their data, you can kind of expect what type of results they're going to get, and over time, it tends to regress to those results. Uh, I know one player on my list that I tracked this week was Shakir Mukhamadulin, who's a guy that everyone loves to meme. Uh, and the thing that is interesting about him is that his track data for me, some of it at least is actually kind of solid. Um, but it's generated in such a way where I'm kind of expecting things not to go his way as much as they have been in the three games I've done so far. There's multiple situations of players like that having happened, uh, where they drive decent results, but then you kind of realize that sometimes hockey's a game of bounces and things uh, one way or the other will regress to kind of what you're looking at over time. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, it, and that goes for players that are underperforming the expectations that you, that you expect and see with your eyeballs. Uh, so generally speaking, I, personally, I feel relatively comfortable with, with my workflow. Uh, there, there usually isn't a ton of stuff that after a few games of tracking and only watching that one player play that I'm really missing, I feel like watching full games and in person and only being able to watch it in real time and take notes, You and I'm not trying to throw scouts under the bus, I'm just trying to explain the difference in methodology, I I get the feeling that when you're doing that, I can absolutely understand how you need to see a player play 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 times. They're not always on the ice, you might be watching multiple players in a given game, um, and you can't rewind, you can't do any of this stuff. So... I think at the end of the day, uh, it's it's two different ways of getting to the same result. Um, but for me, again, I mentioned it in the article, like I'm pretty confident in about two and a half rounds of players, of players that I would go and stick my neck out for in the first few rounds of the draft. And the rest is kind of like, well, if they're available later, you know, we'll 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 have them on the list and we'll take a look. Uh, and then the watch list is just guys that are total shots in the dark that, you know, if it's late in the draft and, you you know, your list is empty, you know, may as well take a swing on one of these guys. And I'm sure there's a few of them that will get drafted well before the end of the draft, like Shakir Mukumadoulin was in there. But anyway, uh, enough about me and let's turn it over to the questions. Again, if you have any questions about this, I do have a piece that I've drafted. I've started drafting up a piece about, uh, what I do start to finish. um, you know in terms of what i'm looking for in a game why i track what i track and how i analyze it and all that stuff. So uh that will be coming at some point in the near future. Uh well, maybe not near future cuz i want to get some videos out. Um i do want to get some videos out for a, for a little while here. Uh, my goal was 30. I feel like we're going to blow through that. Um but i also do kind of want to manage the time i spend tracking data and making videos a little bit better moving forward. So I can keep adding players to the data and, and keep adding to that sort of database and then turning that into videos whenever those players are ready. So, uh, stay tuned for all of that stuff, but we're going to keep on trucking until the draft, uh, comes around whenever that might be. Um, I also will say right off the top before we get into the questions, uh, the mock draft is still happening. Uh, I believe we'll do registration over the next week for patrons and the next Wednesday, Uh, if there's empty space, we will open things up, uh, for everyone, maybe earlier than Wednesday so that we can get everyone in here, um, for the, what I would call the lottery, which is how we organized the draft order last year. And I've had a question about this before. Uh, it is not going to be, you pick your NHL team. It's just going to be perfectly fair across the board. Three rounds, 31 people, uh, three picks per person, no trades. I thought about including that last year, but I felt like that could get completely out of control and it's just going to be 31 people picking three names that they like. And I felt that that was kind of a fun exercise. It's going to be a good time. Uh, anyway, so let's, uh, turn that over to, uh, turn it over to you guys, uh, you guys and gals. And, uh, we'll take a look at, uh, some questions. So Sam's right off the bat. Keener Sam. Hello. Thank you. Uh, enjoyed the ranking. I'm glad you enjoyed the, the work. Um, it's been a long road to get to this point and we're still not done. Um, it, it's kind of weird to think that the draft would be about two weeks from now, uh, normally, which I mean, I'm kind of (laughs) like this draft class that there's, there's a lot to watch, but, uh, it's, uh, watching the same guys over and over and over again all year. It's, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how, uh, coverage evolves between now and the draft whenever it happens, but I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, so thank you. Uh, Luca, hey, Will, if you're Steve Eiserman, well, I wish, uh, and you got the fourth overall pick, do you draft Yaroslav As- Askarov and let him develop in the KHL and tank the next few years to get higher end forwards, uh, and a D or four. Okay. So you're basically asking, do you take Askarov and tank? Uh, if it's fourth overall, probably not. I think that there's some really special players that you can draft right now. And I also am not a fan of the idea of prolonging your tank intentionally you know what I mean? Especially if it's to take a goalie. Like, I think that any top-end draft pick is a really good opportunity to add a really, really high-end player to your to your team. Uh, so to me, if it's fourth overall, and let's say the top three goes um, Lafreniere, Byfield, Stutzla, and you have names like Marco Rossi, Lucas Raymond, um, even an Anton Lindell, Jamie Drysdale on the board, you know, if I had a crystal ball and knew that Yaroslav Askarov was going to be a number one goaltender and a franchise potential Vesna guy, then maybe you could convince me at four. I don't know if it would be Drysdale, but someone like a Marco Rossi, the idea of him platooning behind Dylan Larkin down the middle uh, with Michael Rasmussen behind him for the next 10 years sounds pretty spooky if, if, if I'm not a Red Wings fan, um, and I would not be against that idea. Lucas Raymond uh, would be an interesting add for the Detroit Red Wings. They've had a pretty decent history with some Swedish players who could reach out to him, give him some advice. You know, leverage that pretty well. Uh, Askarov, you know, if it was sixth or seventh overall, I would really think about it, uh, for sure. Like I, I would consider the discussion surrounding taking Askarov over a Drysdale mostly because of the potential of what you're going to end up with. With Drysdale, I think you're going to get a top four defenseman, like a decent two-way player. By decent, I mean decent by NHL standards, like above average to good top four defenseman that belongs in a top four. And that's on like a really good team, I would say. Whereas Askarov, I think he's about as good a bet as you're going to find to find a number one goaltender in the draft, uh, just based on where he's playing, his track record, how he plays from my rudimentary understanding of goaltending. Um, I'm a fan of him and you know, I would rather take the bet and, and see what happens around six or seven, maybe eight in this year's draft. Uh, and then see what happens, but four might be a bit high. And I know you you mentioned Jesper Walstead afterwards. Uh, you never, I never would ever, ever bet on a goaltender over a year away from being draft eligible, I mean, Askarov is pretty darn close, but, you know, it'll be interesting because Walshtead is listed to be potentially on Lulio's men's team roster next year. So if he plays a full year in the SHL, that'll be very interesting. Uh, But he's a player that, you know, might be a great goaltender to add in the first round. But again, you're still, you'd be making a bet that something that happens a lot won't happen, which is goaltenders who are very highly regarded kind of fizzle out in their draft-eligible year. Jan Bednar was looked at as a first-round pick from time to time last year, uh, and he maybe just had a bad year. But, you know, goalies are—it's really hard to be a goalie. Uh, And it's really hard to be a good goalie when the pressure of being a potential top NHL pick is on your shoulders. And I think that Yaroslav Askarov, you know, there was a crack in the World Juniors, but literally everywhere else he went this year with the pressure of being Yaroslav Askarov— he was rem- remarkably good, uh. So I don't know. I I would think though to-, to answer your question in a word, I would probably not do that. Um, but maybe maybe not so much. N- not a ton later, I would start thinking about it, especially if I was Detroit. Uh, and you asked about Knight, Askarov, and Walsted. I haven't seen enough of Walshed to really be sure, but I definitely like Askarov the most of of what I've seen of all three. Uh, but again, I can't say I've seen a ton of Walshed. Uh, hockey badger. Nice. Hey, Will, what are your thoughts on Tyson Forster and Evan Veerling? Do you think there's a chance Veerling surprises next year to the limited game games he played? Uh, I like both of those players, kind of. I think Tyson Forster, uh, is going to be a power play type player. I think he's an underrated even strength player in terms of, you know, pushing play and, 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 and driving possession and all of those fun things that we all like. But I don't really see, um, a real dynamic two-way you know all situations offensive player I think that there's a lot of work uh that needs to be done for Forrester there I think I, I, I I've just been tracking him recently uh and I'm just also stalling while I pull up my work on him um 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 and uh you know I I just don't know if he's worth something like a first round pick like I think his skating is good enough Um, but, but just the defensive play, especially, uh, he's not super involved in transitions offensively or defensively, um, doesn't control a lot of offensive transitions, doesn't control a lot of defensive ones either, or sorry, doesn't shut down a lot of defensive ones either. Uh, and I think that there's just, you know, there's a bit of a ways to go for him in terms of being like a premier player, uh, with the other one you mentioned, Evan Veerling, I don't have anything tracked on him, Um, but uh, he's a guy who I think, you know, is good at a lot, but not a guy that I'm jumping to draft because I don't think he has enough to like really project to be a serious NHL role player. I I think he got a lot better when he went to Barry Um, and I mean, I just, but I just don't really think he's got, you know, the, 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 the full package of talent that I think you're looking for in a really premier player maybe he's a player you if you like the kid and you like what he does show I think he's a good enough skater he's got good skill you know there's good offensive ability but I don't think that he's got like a you know when I'm looking for players I look for someone who has something really special about their game you know like I want to bet on something that they do better than most players out there And with Evan Veerling, I think he's a good junior player. You know, really reminds me of like a Justin Sortif type profile, like a guy who does well in junior, but there's a pretty long road for NHL success, I think. Um, So, I I mean, maybe he's a player that you let develop for a few years and see what happens with him if you like him. But that kind of a player is a player I'm not really looking to draft. You know, I have him at 71. I'm not looking to draft players that have that kind of questionable ability uh, before you know, the middle rounds of the draft just to take a swing on him. Uh, Oh, I missed a question earlier from Alex. Uh, Hey, any thoughts on Adam Vilsby as a late round pick? I haven't gotten anything tracked on him, but I've seen him play. I don't know. I mean, maybe. I mean, maybe if it's a late round pick. I just think that, you know, you, you draft overagers that you can show a measurable, you know, consistent development path from them. And I think someone like a Benjamin Baumgartner, who's a double over double under, sorry, double re-entry player, I should say, uh, he's one who I think checks all the boxes of being a guy that's worth taking as an overager. Whereas Wilsby, I think his skating isn't quite where it should be for a 20-year-old kid. Uh, he's shifty. He likes to shoot the puck a lot. Um, and I, I think as a late-round pick, maybe, sure, you take a flyer on him. There's probably worse players that will be drafted ahead of him if it's in the seventh round or something. But I just feel as though I have a weird gut feeling about him that, you know, this was a great year for him. He had a great year at both ends of the of, at both leagues. Um, but, I mean, an under-20, you know, a 19-year-old defenseman playing at the under-20 level, you kind of expect him to be extremely good, especially if he's been very good in the Allsvenskan. But the other thing to note is that, to me, the difference in hockey between the SHL and the Allsvenskan is pretty drastic. Uh, you know, the Allsvenskan can be a pretty slow... Plotting league. And I think there's a reason that teams as dominant in the Allsvenskan like Oscarsham last year, uh, when they go up to the SHL, they get bounced down pretty quick. I think it's because that league is a, a, a step or two ahead and being an extremely good Allsvenskan player is one thing. Uh, but if you do it without showing tremendous mobility and tremendous skill and all these things that allow you to sort of take over a game entirely, you know, like Jonathan Dolan, for example, is a player that does that at that level. He should not be in the All-Svenskan, I don't think, but he is. Um, and it shows. So that, that's where I kind of fall on that. I mean, if it's a late round pick and you believe in him and you like him, sure, go nuts. Um, but I just don't know about his projectability personally. Uh, okay. Mr. 747, the airplane is here. Hey, Will, thoughts on Dawson Mercer. Is he worth a top 13 pick? So Dawson Mercer is a player I need to circle back on, in terms of tracking data, I think I think Dawson Mercer is going to go as far as his feet want to take him, if that makes any sense. So with Dawson Mercer, I mean, he's arguably one of the more talented players in the whole draft. In terms of just pure talent, like skill, his skating can be quite something when he gets moving. He's one of the better scorers, I would say. And by better scorers, I don't mean... His shot is great. His passing ability is great. I just mean players that know how to get the puck in the net one way or the other, like I alluded to it in the Marco Rossi video. like He's just a guy who knows how to put the puck where goalies aren't. So if he needs to use his hands to navigate traffic and put a puck top shelf from two feet in front of the goalie, he has the ability to do it. And if that's what the right move is, he'll usually try it. Um, So with Mercer, that's definitely there. But the problem with me for him is that the motor isn't always running. He he can sort of float around the neutral zone a little bit too much. Uh, the foot comes off the gas pedal a little bit too much. And and to me, he's a player that I think you send back to the QMJHL. I think he's going to have a great year in, in uh, if he keeps that foot on the gas pedal. Uh, but he's also a guy who I think has some things to to learn in terms of applying, you know, keeping his feet moving and applying pressure constantly, especially if he's going to be a winger in the NHL uh, you know, he needs to fill out a little bit, but in terms of the offensive skill and talent, it's, it's all there. I mean, I, I think he's a perfectly reasonable swing to take in the top 20 because his offensive upside is, is pretty big, uh, defensively, you know, I don't think he's going to be a player you draft to be a two-way player, but in terms of being a offensive leaning winger, you know, who, who can be a good power play asset as well, that's a perfectly reasonable thing to add. Uh, I think he's been a little bit underwhelming, but also Shakutami, when they acquired him, it was more about making their team, you know, Memorial Cup ready. And I don't think his ice time was as high. I can't prove that. I don't have the data yet. But he's a player I do need to circle back on, on, on data. I don't know about top 13, though. Top 20, sure. You, you could easily convince me in the top 20. Um, but top, top 15 might be a bit rich. And I mean, there's guys in the top 15 that I just really, really like, uh, that could, could maybe, uh, be, be sort of applying themselves uh, a little bit more consistently with that motor that, that might might allow them to flex more offensive muscles more often. Um, but again, a guy I need to circle back on for sure. Patrick Roman. How do you tell which centers will play well as wingers and which ones will have their talents wasted as wingers? If the dra- Devils end up drafting Rossi, how would you manage Rossi, Heisher, and Hughes? Well, the Toronto Maple Leafs are a really good example of a team that have that I guess had – uh, three real high-level centers in um Matthews, Tavares, and and Kadri, and I don't think Toronto's complaining. Uh, for for Toronto Maple Leaf fans, we spent uh you know they, the 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 world of the Toronto Maple Leaf spent ten years looking for a number one center, and now they have two. And they had Nazem Kadri, who kind of played his way out of the city, but uh at the end of the day, you kind of work around it because that's a good problem to have. Those three guys playing. 20 minutes a night, I maybe more like 18. But those three guys playing 18 to 20 minutes a night, depending on who and and who you're playing and when and where, all of that is not a bad problem. But to answer your first question, because it's kind of interesting, so when I'm looking at centers, you know, w- w- what I'm looking for is mobility primarily. So I think if a player is mobile but maybe doesn't position themselves defensively very well as a center or you know doesn't you know jumps the jumps the defensive zone too quickly to jump into a rush in the neutral zone like that's not what i'm looking for a center to do you know it, primarily what i'm looking for tactically in hockey is always having an out with the puck you 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 need to have a teammate supporting the puck carrier and you need a person support you need another forward or a defenseman supporting the supporting player so if push comes to shove literally or if there's a breakup in transition or a puck bobble or something you need to know who's going to be where to slap the puck to and if the center is flying up the ice up the middle of the ice and and that kind of thing happens it becomes a lot more difficult if the defenseman doesn't pinch up and bail out the winger or whatever you know i i want my centers to be able to pass the puck around the ice like the big reason i love marat kuznodinov so we'll we'll pick him up because he's a center I think he's a perfectly reasonable projectable center uh, and I am a huge fan of him and that's no secret. So why? We'll we'll use him as a case study. So his motor is running all the time. He's constantly covering a lot of ice. I've had people highlight to me that that might be a bad thing. He's he's covering too much ice, but in my opinion, he covers ice so, so well and so quickly that he can pinch into situations and get out of them very efficiently. His skating forwards, backwards, side to side. I I really think it's some of the best in the, in the draft at the end of the day, when we're looking back in five or 10 years, I think it's really great. So what I'm looking for with a player like a Maracus Nadinov defensive zone, apply yourself. Don't be afraid to jump into the board play, but also, you know, know how to support teammates in that scrum without jumping into the offensive rush if there's a route for you to carry the puck all the way up the ice go nuts but you you kind of are looking for that 2-1-2 breakout so you have your wingers jumping into the neutral zone you use the center as a conduit so Cole Perfetti is another great example Cole Perfetti's skating isn't phenomenal it's 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 fine I think it's underrated but his straight line skating admittedly is not great so how does he get around that defensemen or wingers get him the puck and he just knows what to do with it. He passes it to a line mate that's somewhere else on the ice where there's not as much pressure and he can move those pucks up the ice with a lot of control. You know, I highlighted it in the report I made on him, him versus Marco Rossi. Rossi seemed much more dynamic in terms of being able to control the puck on his own stick while also maybe using line mates if he needs to. Perfetti was very much a primarily, you know, either he hustled into the neutral zone and passed the puck or he passed the puck into the neutral zone and then hustled into the neutral zone to support. Those two things were much more common than him always having it on his stick and carrying it in. So what I'm looking for is, you know, I don't need my centers to be the guys crashing the net all the time with the puck in the offensive end. I need my centers to be defensively aware of what's going on in the ice. Um, you know, cover the front of the net just as much as the defender would. So right in between those face-off dots, that's your zone. Uh, and then when you get the puck, know what to do with it, to get it up to a winger or to carry it up the ice under your own feet. And since you're running that two, one, two in my ideal hockey team, you need that guy in the one spot to be able to move up and down the ice almost all night. And, 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 at a rate that they can control, but they can push it really hard if they need to, or they can, you know, take it at their own pace if they need to. So someone like Murat Nadinov has the skill to do pretty much anything on the ice, I think. And he's going to be a long-term bet, I think. I don't think he's an NHL player, like, in a year. But I think that if you're patient and you keep working him out and he keeps building strength, he's just going to get better and better and better. And the that, that kind of central conduit type of play. So if I have a winger who is really having trouble completing passes, but some people are saying, oh, well, this guy could be a center, blah, blah, blah. I'm going, well, why? Why would what role would this person play as a center? Because they can't complete a pass. Their offensive transitions aren't done with control as much as say a Marco Rossi or a Cole Perfetti or a Murat Kuznetdinov, where all three of those guys are up near 80%. So, you know, like I want my center to be able to get that puck out of the defensive end with control. And if they can do it four out of five times, that's great. If they only do it three out of five times, that's a that's a big difference because those 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 exits and entries can happen. 15 20 times in a game. So if you have a player who's doing let's say 20 of those a game, which is quite high but playing a lot, if they do 20 of those a game and you have 4 out of 5 getting into the offensive zone, uh that would be uh 16 of them done with control. 3 out of 5 would be 12 if I'm not mistaken. So you don't want that. That's a big difference. That's 6 uncontrolled zone entries. Are zone offensive zone transitions that you're now handing over to opponents or creating a neutral zone 50-50 situation. So I look for those things out of, out of centers. And with wingers, you know, again, if you have really mobile wingers who are defensively responsible and, you know, kind of play that role already, sure, you could try them out at center, but, but, you know, having really mobile wingers also really helps. It, it helps them, you know, make their way up the ice with control of the puck really, really well. So it depends on the case study you're looking at. But, but when I'm looking at centers, you know, someone, I believe I'm, I could be mistaken, but someone like a, uh, Dawson Mercer, since we were just talking about him, I saw him listed as a center, uh, for quite a while, but when I watch him play center, I'm going, I don't really see it. I don't see the defensive engagement. I don't see the back checking that, that you need out of a center. And, you know, he's much more of an offensive-leaning player, which is okay. But to me, it goes, well, he might just be more of a winger than anything. You know, Cole Perfetti. Yeah, he plays that central conduit role really well, but his skating, if it holds him back and he needs to switch over to the wing, that would be perfectly fine. I think he would fit in perfectly there. Uh, Perfetti-cli. I don't know. Um, But it's an interesting question. It's an interesting thought experiment. And based on the data that I've tracked, I think there's definitely markers that I look at for centers guy or at least guys that I think could be centers um and you know there's the, but but with wingers, yeah, you can get away with a little bit more uh and and it's tougher to turn a winger into a center for that reason. you need to have a higher baseline of things like mobility and defensive responsibility uh and and passing ability, at least to me. Uh, and with, and again, like with the Marco Rossi thing to the devils, I think you take him, if they, if he's the best player on the list, you take him and worry about the problems later. I, I think he makes a perfectly good center down the road. Um, but I mean, worst case scenario, I mean, who knows who else you'll be drafting this year and you can mix and match and find what works for your team. You, you have a lot of flexibility that way. Uh, heart of lad is here. Oh boy. Heart of uh francis b Bo, what do you think of steven halliday uh another similar to like evan veerling like a guy that i've seen a few times and just hasn't really moved the needle a lot there's a lot of stuff that he does okay like i really like the jackson twins with dubuque i think both of them are really talented they're overragers uh from last year or undrafted players from last year i i dig i dig those guys but steven halliday i mean he's a big decent skilled winger um but I don't have any data on him and his progression from last year hasn't been fantastic. Uh, I just think that he's a guy and I don't know. I would like, I would like guys who've seen more of the USHL drive more of the bus on that. I've only seen him play a few times. Um, but whenever I have seen him play, I do try to make a point of keeping an eye on him. Cause I know he has a bit of pedigree behind him and I just don't know if there's enough there right now for me to jump at the chance at picking him personally. Uh, the the plane is asking another question. 747. Do you think Byfield is closer to first or third overall? Closer to first, I think. Uh, if you read my ranking, you would know. I'm just, I'm just playing with you, but it's true. What I said was true. Um, but yeah, he's closer to one in my opinion than three. I, I really believe that still. How many of these forwards in your opinion have a true shot at being perennial 70 point players? I'm thinking four. Am I being too pessimistic? Um, well, let's, let's play a game here. Um, so if you go to elite prospects, which should load soon, there we go. And we go to the NHL. So there are 31 teams.
1: So let's keep that in mind. Come on. Um
0: god okay there we go now i gotta do another okay i'm just gonna count up how many players were on say a 70 point pace um minimum games played we'll say 30 so whatever say 30 games played just because uh and then 70 uh or whatever uh 70 points times 82
1: um
0: bear with me 0.85. 0.85. We'll say 0.85 points per game. So how many players were above that point? Uh, 53. In, uh, excluding defensemen, that's one, there was two defensemen on here, I think. Three defensemen, four defensemen, five defensemen. So five defensemen, no, four defensemen on this list. So we'll say 50-ish. So there's about 50-70 point players on, on in the NHL ish. And so there's 31 teams. So I would say that I'm trying to remember where I'm going with this, but I think you kind of get where I'm going. It's pretty hard to find 70 point players. I mean, guys who are 70 point players are in here, uh, you know, that are on that pace. Guys like Goudreau was a mid round pick. Um, but you know, Ehlers was a top 10 pick. Braden Shen was a top 10 pick. Jonathan Taves, Ryan O'Reilly was a second round pick. Like it's kind of a mixed bag, but it is perfectly reasonable to think that the more offensive leaning players that were eligible in a given draft year, uh, are the ones that, that, that might end up hitting a benchmark like that. Uh, you know, Kyle, uh, Kyle Connor is up here, which I mean, I'm a big fan of his. Um, but you know, again, a mid first round pick that was more swinging on offense. I don't know if Lucas Raymond is a 70 point guy down the road, but I mean, Lafreniere, probably Byfield, probably eventually. Um, you know, but again, these are pretty rare benchmarks to hit. There's 50. So t- about just under two per team, uh, which is kind of interesting. So I don't know. I wouldn't keep my breath held. I mean, four might be a lot. I don't think Lindell will hit it. Drysdale almost certainly won't. Um, Jake Sanderson almost certainly won't, you know, it it, it might not be that, that likely. Um, but I think that you could see three, maybe like the top three all hit it. Marco Rossi, I think probably has the potential to do it as well. Uh, maybe not immediately. Um, but I don't think Lucas Raymond will get there. I don't think even an Alexander Holtz will, I think he might be a guy that might be, uh, you know, in a career year, maybe hit 70 points, like 40 goals, 30 assists type of season. Uh, you know, I, I just don't know if that's going to be sustainable for his whole career, personally, uh, unless he's just out there for two minutes on every power play and just cranking shots all night. Uh, but anyway, uh, four... Yeah, it might be a bit optimistic to, to 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 say four. I think, again, I'm trying to run through the argument in my own head as I do this live on camera, so please bear with me. Um, but let's say a generation of NHL players is... I don't know, 10 years of prime hockey. So every 10 years, there's usually a cycle of, of who to really pay attention to in the league, like who's on the Wheaties boxes kind of players. So every 10 years, um, let's say that group of 50 cycles. So that means that about five every draft will end up as those top 50, 70 point pace players. So on average, you should end up with five. So maybe this year's draft being as, as in my opinion, strong as it is, you might end up with more than four. Um, but I don't know. Uh, I, I think that you'll have at least three perennial 70 point players, maybe as many as five or six, if things break right. Uh, but it's really hard to tell right now, especially with, you don't know who's going to draft which players and and where and what usage they're going to get. Uh, but yeah, interesting question for sure. Carter, thoughts on Brett Berard? Boy, uh, I'll tell you, I'm a big fan of Brett Berard. Uh, I don't know what his upside will be. I don't think he'll be a premier top six player in the NHL, but, uh, I, I love how creative he is. He's not the best skater, but he doesn't need to be um you know he he drives a ton a ton of really really good results uh in the data that i've tracked Um, i'm just gonna pull him up now here there he is so just to run down the basics i mean his shot differentials are pretty decent but like getting 60 65 percent of your shot attempts from medium or high danger is pretty good 20 percent from high danger is really good combined with 15 percent dangerous passing percentage also really good but per 60 i think his his uh, per sixty, I think his rate of dangerous passes is really, really high, uh, because he doesn't play a ton either. I think he's more like a third line player for the NTDP. Um, so yeah, dangerous passes thirteen point three per sixty, which I mean for reference, Jacob Perot was sixteen, uh, Jean Luc Foudy twenty one, Tim Stutzla against men thirteen, um, Danny Gushchin fourteen, Benjamin Baumgartner again against men and a bit older fifteen, but. He's you know maverick Bork is at fourteen and 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 Barard is under one dangerous pass per sixty behind him uh I've tracked five games he's got six goals per sixty minutes, not himself but his line uh which is huge at five on five. I think that's the highest I've tracked so far uh looks like it yep looks 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 like it uh at least in a sample as big as his he also leads my entire tracking sheet in. Controlled offensive zone transitions per 60, so he gets 72 of them per 60 minutes. Uh, The next highest I have is Danny Gustian at 67. So the guy is just a factory, and he he does it a lot by passing the puck. He has 86 pass attempts per 60 minutes, which, for a winger, is enormous. Um, Like, for reference, who else is around 86? Emil Andre, Caden Gooley, uh, who else? Um... Like Cole Perfetti is a 90.6 and Brett Berard is 86. Now he's he's only completing 66, which falls short of a few players in my list, but that's not terrible. Um and he also through five games does not have a defensive zone entry that's done with control. Now that's mostly because he's not super involved defensively along the blue line. Uh he's the least involved I can see on the defensive blue line, outside of Daniel Torgerson. Colby Ambrosio is down there as well, but like, you know, in terms of an offensive guy who can chip in, especially in the neutral zone, I think he's a really good player. Like, if he's available in the mid rounds, like third, fourth round, that's easily a guy that I would go to bat for for sure. But uh, and and I also don't know, I don't think people are paying as much attention to him because he's not Ty Milanich or 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 uh, Thomas Bordalo or whoever. Take your favorite, Jake Sanderson, whatever so he might fly under the radar a little, but I'm a, a big fan of his, especially considering how young he is. Is Tyson Forster worth a first-round pick? Probably not. Do you think in the future they will gene-edit hockey players? Uh, I'm not going to go into eugenics, I don't think, tonight. I, I, maybe, maybe we'll let that one slide. Uh, Jayla OG. Good. Welcome. I don't recognize that username. Hello. Hey Will, good point about underperformers. Who would you say was the most snake bitten this year or should have gotten more production based on the way they play? I mean, Jean-Luc Foody, I think, is up there. Uh, and I know people are kind of poking fun at me, not publicly, but with where I ranked Foodie, uh, but I'm a believer in that guy, uh, for sure. He's up there. Um, I think who else would be an underachiever? So let's just pull this up. Uh I think John Jason Paterka is another really good example. I think his line mates really held back his his production um you know you look at I look at how he plays the game and look at his point totals and go okay seven goals four assists for a guy that plays like john john jason paterka i I don't think that that lines up with what reality is. I think that he should have you know six more assists than he already did based on what I'm seeing him do in games uh he's a pretty good playmaker he's a smart player with the puck. Um, you know, he's not extremely creative, but he's no BS. And I think that he was kind of underperforming. I don't mean himself, but I think his results underperformed at least the data that I tracked that's individual. So transitions and, you know, shot selection and all that stuff. He does a really good job at all of those things, but still gets shelled defensively. And you know, he's a winger, but I can't fault him too much. Um, I mean, there, you'll, you'll see eventually there there's, you know, we, we have a video in production on him. So stay tuned for that but uh he's an interesting one and i think he's another one that i think underperformed what the actual results of what he was doing on the ice was but you know he and foodie are good examples um you know another one you know people might look at topi nimala and say well he only scored 7 goals or 7 points in 43 games and he's a defenseman so like he must not be very good and blah 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 but you know i think topi nimala played again pretty limited minutes in in the liga um, played, I think most, a lot of the time with their sort of bottom six with carpet, um, really had a hard time producing offensively as a line, but you know, there are certain things about his game, like having 26.6% of his, of goal, sorry, having a primary point at 26.6% of, uh, of, of even, of even strength goals scored with, with Niemala on the ice is really good for a defenseman. Why is this all out of order? Um, oh, I remember. Um, but yeah, so that's really good for a defenseman, and I think that's a, a an indicator that he's not being used a tremendous amount. My data on him is is spotty; it's up and down. But when he's on, he's pretty good. And and if you're a team that ends up with Topi Nimala after the draft, you know he reminds me a bit of a similar brand like a Ryan Johnson style. Maybe not as skilled as Ryan Johnson, but just that defensive first good skater who plays that sort of modern defensive game. I think Nimala does a good job of it. Uh, and when he's going, he's going and he's already playing against men. Um, and and I'm a fan of him. And I think that if you just look at his point totals, you might wonder what the hell he's doing in the first round potentially. Um, but I'm a, I'm a fan of his game. Um, last two questions from Francis. Okay. Uh, Oh, I lost it scroll too quick. What do you think of Delina, Danila galeniak and Zach Ewens? Not a huge fan of Ewans. Uh, I haven't seen a tremendous amount of him, but I'm not a huge fan of what I have seen. I just, he just, I think he's on a bad team and scored points. I, I think that that's kind of what that is. I just don't, not a huge fan of, of of his game, but I can't say I have an extremely detailed breakdown of, of what he does. Uh, Danila galeniak though, I've seen him play in the KHL quite a bit his mobility is okay. I, I think his two-way numbers were really good. Um, but I think, you know, I think he's he's more of a, you know, if it was the seventh round, maybe you could take a swing on him, but you know, I like his mobility. It's okay. I like his offensive ability. It's, it's okay as well, but not particularly fantastic. Um, big, heavy defender. He can again, skate. Okay. But I don't, I don't know about projecting his game long term. Uh, I think that when the pace of play gets increased on a smaller ice surface, he might have a bit of trouble adjusting to that if he were to be drafted and and come over. Um, but, but again, I, I think he probably should get picked by someone. I think he's good enough, but I just don't know about how well he'll project, uh, right away at least. Uh, so, you know, that, that just kind of not also the exact brand of defenseman that I'm looking for, but again, in the seventh round, depending on who gets picked, he might be a guy you take a look at. Nathan Weber, given Ty Smolanich's injury-plagued season, would you be shocked if a team takes him in the opening round? No. Uh Simon Holmstrom went in the first round last year and he had a bit of injuries. A lot of injuries, actually, and wasn't great when he came back. Smolanich, I think, is a guy who I've just continued to sort of knock down my board. I I had him in my first round early in the year, and I liked what I was seeing out of him. But the more and more I watch the NTDP, the more I think other players kind of bump him down a bit. If someone takes him in the first round, you know, I like his speed up the ice. He's got decent skill as well. He works hard. You know, he's an admirable player to watch. And I think there is still the potential that he he is one of the better NTDP forwards that comes out of this year's draft uh, down the road. But I think there's just other more interesting players that I've also seen more of that I think just kind of bump him down my list for me um and it's just been name after name after name and same kind of vibe with a Jake Neighbors kind of player a guy who I had ranked pretty high earlier in the year and I just kind of kept knocking him down a peg time and time again because of other players that I think are more risky maybe but but have you know more to show for themselves and it's that that discussion of like here's the player that does something very well this player is this is his bread and butter and this is what we're going to build on to to be the special thing that he can do whereas guys like neighbors and maybe smelanich even are just kind of good at everything and just kind of plays the game smart knows how to put points up at the junior level and then it's you know what is going to be the thing that separates them when they leave junior you know and it's kind of hard to isolate that kind of thing with Smelanich or, or neighbors, at least for me, if we're talking first round. You know, second round, I'm much more open to players like that. Um, but I guess for me, you know, just might not be something that I'm looking to to make a big swing on earlier. Uh, do you know Jeremy Biakabutuka from the, I believe I pronounced that right, from the QMJHL, if yes, thoughts? I've seen St. John play a bit. I have taken notice of him a few times. I think he's okay, but that team is so hard to read. I mean, I, that th- that team is so, so hard to get a read on. I don't, I want to say that I'm not a huge fan of his, of his game. Um, but I also just find it really, really hard to read that team. Brady Burns and Josh Lawrence were players that I wanted to rank, but I can't really look at it and say that you know I reliably can put those guys somewhere in my ranking list. That team was not great uh, overall. Biaka Patuka's numbers uh were good at both ends of the ice in terms of driving offense and suppressing defense. Um I would want to know exactly who he was playing with a lot. I can't I don't have that in front of me. Um and I haven't seen the Sea Dogs play in quite a while. But i I just don't know. I mean a guy who plays oh, he's on Valdor is that is he still there? Did they do I might unless I'm thinking of someone else. um, this is embarrassing. <laughs> uh oh, he's with Valdor. That makes a lot more sense as to why these numbers line up. I might be thinking of someone else for Saint John um St John Sea Dogs. Uh, just gonna do this for posterity, because I want to make sure that I am thinking of the same person. What am I doing? Who was I thinking of? Weird. Totally weird. I could have sworn... This is some Mandela effect thing going on here. I could have sworn he played for St. John. Anyway, uh, must be thinking of someone else, because I have not seen Valdor play this year yet. Uh, so, unfortunately, I, uh i I have not seen him play. I must be thinking to someone else, so my apologies on that uh there's a lot of names, and I've mixed them up sometimes um but I will have to check him out, so I will add him to uh my list, whichever wherever my fictional list is uh so i don't know i'll 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 get to him at at some point for Valdor um <laughs> whoops uh live on camera, baby should teams be rewarded a goal for every five hits? no. Although I'm pretty sure that's a joke. What exactly is Shakir's issue? I've seen some people rank him in the late first, then you meme him. Never actually heard what his problem is. Okay. So Shakir Muka has nice tools. I think people look at his skating and his skill and go, okay, if it works out, he's going to be a good defenseman, which sure. Like if you want him to be an aggressive offensive defenseman one day, I can see that trajectory for him. But there's a like he doesn't he doesn't defend particularly well. He relinquishes a lot of controlled transitions defensively. Um his puck decisions are sometimes shockingly bad. Uh let me just pull him up here. So Shakir Mukamadoulin, where is he here? Uh oh weird. Um so Shakir Mukamadoulin. Where are we here? Like, he doesn't get shelled when he's playing. His his shot differentials are okay. Uh, he has 17 controlled offensive zone transitions per 60 minutes, which is the lowest of anyone that I've tracked. Uh, Caden Gooley is next lowest with 18. Casper uh, Pudio has 21. So... And Muka Madulin plays on a really good team. Um, so when you look at him as well, he loses control. That's not right. Uh, anyway, he loses control of the puck, uh, when it goes offensively 40 or 60% of the time. So when the puck's going offensively on his stick or passing it, he loses possession of the puck 60% of the time, which is not good enough. Uh, his passing percentage is 69%, which is also for a defenseman, especially not good enough, especially doubly so for the Russian junior league, like that league, barely plays defense half the time and you should be able to at least find an open man to complete a pass uh and he seems to have trouble doing that um the one also thing that kind of blows my mind is his reads on when to jump into an offense are sometimes awful he will pinch up the boards with no support behind him and the support that does end up getting there isn't quick enough uh he will jump into offensive rushes for really no particular reason uh with with you know and just kind of meander his way to the net and not really play with a lot of purpose um you know i i just think that he's a player that has a lot of issues that will need to be worked out over time and to to make it work with his tools i just think that you're looking at a player where the decisions you know the, the decisions and the actual on-ice results that he has are just not great. Um, so let me just fill in this thing again. Cause I l- somehow his, one of his data points turned into a B, uh, t- 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 sorry. Okay. Um, yeah. And then coming the other way defensively, uh, he's allowing possession of the puck in defensive transitions 48% of the time, which isn't as bad, but when you're looking at first round, like defensemen, uh, you know, I'm looking at defensemen like uh Amy Laundre, 29%. So opposing teams gain maintain control of the puck defensively uh twenty-nine percent of the time, which is pretty great. Caden Gooley, thirty-three percent. Uh or sorry, Caden Gooley is thirty-two percent. Um Samuel Kanazko, one of the most infamously aggressive defensemen out there, is thirty-one percent. So he's not jumping the gun. He's making it count when he jumps in. Jake Sanderson. Part of the reason he's a top fifteen prospect is twenty three, is a twenty four percent, is a twenty four percent rate of allowing defensive transitions with control, which is great. Um, So three out of every four transitions coming his way, if he gets involved, he's breaking it up, which is excellent. And so, you know, if you're looking for a defenseman in the first round and you want to take Shakir Mukhamadulin, I can't convince you, I can't force you not to but that's a thing where I would be very adamant to to maybe stay away, uh, for a variety of reasons for, for many, many reasons from a data and video based perspective. Um, I've seen him make some decisions that really, uh, hang his team out to dry. Uh, and it's just something that I think might not be something I want to, I want to work with for the next three or four years. Uh, oh, I also saw the super chat from Felix. So thank you very much. Um I think it was about Emil Andre. Uh yeah, he was just outside my first round, but I mean, he could creep in there. I think he was in a tier uh with that that group in the first round, I think. Um where is he here? Yeah, so he is the last player in tier 3. I, I you could convince me to take him in the 20s, I would say. I mean, maybe late 20s, but but I I I I just don't know if I would would pull the trigger in the first round but he's a good defenseman, surprisingly good defensively, really smart, uh, shifty. I, I like the kid, but, uh, yeah, I appreciate the funding, but it's not going to bribe me to put him any higher in my list, at least not today. Uh, I was browsing pick 224 and noticed Emil Haneman has an 87% even strength goals, four percentage. I haven't gotten to see a game of his. What do you think of him? He's legit. I think, uh, I don't know exactly what it was that clicked for him between two years ago and this year or last year and this year. Um, but you know, he's a good mobile, smart winger who can pass the puck, uh, really, really well. You know, he, he drives a lot of that through his defense, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Emil Heineman, where is he here? Uh, mm -mm -mm -mm. I really liked him in the SHL as well. Uh, yeah. So relative to his team, which was a good team he had, he was, his, his, uh, even strength goals for per 60 was 5% lower than when he was off the ice, which is pretty noisy. That's about even, but he was above, a 60% gain, uh, on his, on his team when he was on the ice and he allowed fewer than 0.6, even strength goals against per 60 minutes, which is tiny. That's nothing. I don't think anyone even crosses 0.6. Uh, Marat is 0.8 and that's in the MHL. Uh, so yeah defense guy it seems but i think he's got a lot of good puck possession ability um i, I he's on my list to actually track some data um but i've been a fan of Emil hayman at Heyneman since you know his data really didn't really regress and when i when i've seen him play especially at the shl level i think he's a legit hockey player that i think uh should be gone on early on day two Um, do you think playing hockey has any effect on the knowledge of hockey? People often mock the old boys club, but I think there are things people who played hockey at a high level understand better. Well, um, so I, I think that playing hockey at a really high level, I've never done it. So I can't, I can't, I don't have knowledge to impart. Um, but what I, what, there's a lot of variables that can sort of color that. So on one side, you could say, well, yeah, you have experience of what the social situations are like playing hockey. You know how to interact with teammates. You know how to interact with, with staff and all this stuff. Personally, that's the part of the thing that, that I'm, if I ever do get picked up by a team, that I'm most unfamiliar with, is how to communicate and interact with not just staff members and my team, but, like, the players and all this stuff. Um, although in my head, you just treat them like normal people. Uh, I think though that what the, you know, I, I think that there's also, there is absolutely things that are modifiers that can only be evaluated if you're there. So for example, um, I know that how the different personalities in the room can affect how your performance is. I mean, one thing that helps all the time is think about if you work in an office, for example, think of it like that. Your office is a team. It may be 10 people. It may be a hundred people. I don't know. But if you have a person or a group of people who are a positive or negative influence, or based on their personalities, they don't mesh with their managers or whoever's supposed to be leading their group or whatever, they don't mesh well, then that's going to have an impact on the outcome of the, of the, of the team. They could have the smartest PhD level computer scientist running the most advanced simulations you're ever going to find. But if they're an asshole, it's going to affect things. Whether, you know, like the quality of work could be excellent and perfect, but if you can't communicate it and work as a team and, and under and have some sort of level of understanding, then you're going to, it's not going to be worth nearly as much. It's going to get ignored or it's going to get devalued or whatever. So I think people who, you know, I think there is a lot of group think in hockey that really holds it back. There's a lot of, a lot of people who don't really want to think outside the box. I don't think personally that playing in the NHL automatically makes you a good coach or general manager or this or this or this. it it gives you the tools to understand how to do the job. You know, like if I interned at the company I work at, and then all of a sudden, you know, they hire me full time, it'll come out eventually that maybe even if I had the greatest understanding of what my company did, well, I guess that's not the best example. If I worked at my company for 10 years and then they added me to a management role, that doesn't automatically mean that I'm going to change the way my company operates you know sometimes you need to bring someone in from outside or someone from a different sector who can have a fresh take on things and and move things in a more creative direction you know some of the the some of the biggest changes in the economy some of the biggest changes in our commerce in our world of commerce have come from complete outsiders completely changing the way people think about certain things so i think you need to have a mix of both and recognize a good opportunity when you see it and i think that a lot of people in hockey are basically only hockey people, or at least they have been for a large part of their life. But I'm not, I, again, I'm not one of these people. I can't speak to, to that specifically. Um, but it's just kind of, it's an interesting question you've posed. Uh, so I, I think, I think, that, I, I, I think that it is an asset, but it doesn't automatically make you better at it. But I do also think that people in my situation underestimate the interpersonal side of it. Like this is still a thing where you can't just look at a chart, show it to a player and go, this says you're bad, or show it to a coach and say, this is what your line combinations should be, you know, and expect them to go, okay, sure. Like whatever you say, go. It's, it, it's about the tools that you're giving them and, and, and what evaluation tools you can use. And sometimes you're going to be right. And sometimes you're going to be wrong. Sometimes coaches are going to be right and sometimes they're going to be wrong. But I think saying no to to a group of people just because they haven't participated in playing the sport uh, shuts the door on a ton of people, especially considering all the societal pressures that can force people out of the game somewhere along the way. You know, like you just create a more and more insular culture around the sport and in a sport that I frankly think needs some fresh thinking. You know, like the NBA has undergone some revolutionary changes in the last 10 or 15 years. And hockey is more of the sport that forces the teams to change with the rule changes and the lockout changes and all of these things. Whereas in basketball, you know, like I'm reading Sprawl Ball right now, which is a great book. And it's as simple as you score more points from the three point range. So why don't we just have a bunch of guys that can shoot from three point range? And why are we? going for these mid-range jump shots that everyone misses like that doesn't make any sense so you know and something as simple as that and you get the better three-point shooters and you get the the faster more athletic tactical systems and it can totally change the way the game is played um you know the toronto maple leafs are tinkering with four lines full of skilled fast players that can play the game and to a certain extent it's kind of changing the way people evaluate the sport um So fresh thinking can change a lot of things. And I think in hockey, a lot of smart people or really good players can get left behind for one reason or another, who are really passionate about the, about the game and shutting the door to those people just based on their qualifications, kind of, or lack thereof, I should say, uh, doesn't really make a ton of sense to me. Um, but I also think you can't just assume, you know, everything from being on the outside at all either. Uh, Keith, hi Keith. Uh, what was your best arena hot dog you've ever had? Ooh, well, I haven't been to a tremendous amount of hot dogs, hot dogs. I haven't been to a tremendous amount. I'm very experienced with hot dogs, but I, I haven't mm. The the Rogers Centre in Toronto has some good hot dogs stands, like the specialty ones. Um I don't know if it's still there. I haven't been to a Jays game in a little while, but they have a they have good hot dogs. Like they have good foot long boys with, you know, uh roasted peppers on them and and like onions and the whole shebang uh and i i enjoy those but i haven't been to a tremendous amount of arenas because i don't i don't get to travel around a tremendous amount and when i do travel it's usually not during hockey season uh will this year's draft have bigger steals and busts due to it being more to, of of a crap shoot usually no usually late risers and fallers but this year no clue i think so no u18s is gonna is gonna really push some european guys way down the draft board i think. Uh, I think teams are also maybe going to get way ahead of themselves in terms of evaluating the same video and the same players over and over and over again for the next three or four months. Uh, And at some point, at least from my perspective, it's just you keep tracking the data, you sit back and you just kind of do your due diligence and cross your fingers and hope for the best. I don't know how else you can really approach it by trying to beat the market. I, I think that you know, you have to also know who's been putting in the work during quarantine, who's been skating, who hasn't, who has been training and who has not really been training. Um, that's the part where I think it might separate some people. Uh, but, uh, but it's going to be interesting. It's hard to say right now, but it'll be interesting. Uh, do you think Alexey Lafreniere could be a center in the NHL? Probably not. I, I don't, I don't think so. Uh, I think that if a player as good as Alexey Lafreniere could be a center, they'd be using him as a center in Ramuski already. Yes sepala. Hey will, do you prefer Faber, Powell or Clevin? I don't like Clevin very much at all. Uh, Faber, I think skates better than Powell, but I think Powell's a smarter uh, a smarter defender with a good passing ability that I think Faber kind of lacks. but Faber's skating and breakout ability is actually surprisingly good. So I'd say it's a coin flip between the two. If you could mesh them together to be the same player, that would be great. Um, but I think they complement each other nicely. I mean, they don't play together in terms of pairings, but their skill sets complement each other. I think fairly well. Uh, I like Eamon Powell though. I, I have him ranked higher, I think than Brock Faber. Um, oh, they're literally right back to back. That's funny. Uh, so yeah, I think I, I have Powell a shade ahead, uh, and I think it would stay that way, but Faber is, is just a different type of defenseman. That's not too far behind. Uh, So, if the Kings pick a forward at 35, who would you take if these two are available, Perot or Reichel? Um,
1: for the Kings,
0: that's a tough one because it's the, the Kings specifically. You know, I have Reichel higher at 18, but I think with Reichel, you're adding something that you, I don't think, need more of if you're the Kings. Like Reichel's more of an away from the puck, get to the net, score easy points type player. I probably would lean Reichel, mostly because Perot is a player that I think has a chance that he'll never figure out what he needs to figure out between now and the NHL. Tons and tons and tons of talent. If you want to swing on talent and potentially maybe a guy who could be a center down the road, then sure, Perot might be my guy. But Reichel, I think, you know, more no-nonsense offense to him. He had a good world junior as well, uh, on a, on a team that had no depth. Um, and I think that he showed up pretty well. And I think that considering where he was a year ago to now, I think there's a big, uh, big improvement there, but with Perot, there's more raw talent, I think, but there's also more red flags personally. Whereas with Reichel, it's kind of, you have to know what you're getting. If you pick him. he's not going to be a great two way, you know, guy that you run pucks through all the time and run transitions through all the time. He's going to be a no nonsense, get to the net score points type of player, uh, with a good, you know, decent release, but most often just getting his shot attempts and making them count. Perot has a bit more to his game, but I think that there's, he's a riskier option. I think. I think both of them have some level of risk in terms of being premier players, but Perot, I think his ceiling is higher, but the floor is lower personally. Um, so I'd lean Perot or, uh, Reichel, I would say, but only just if they go with the fence at 35. Oh, if you, they go with the fence, would it be Barron or Wallander? Well, Well, William Wallander, William Wallander in an LA Kings Jersey feeding pucks to name your forward prospect, passing them to Arthur Kaliev or something is kind of spooky to me. Uh, I like that idea. Uh, Tony Ferrari. Oh, jeez. Hello, William. Very nice rankings. I don't give much, I don't have much of a question. I just want to give you a chance to talk about Alex Poshan. Well, yeah, so I had him pretty high, uh, 28. So I just think with Poshan, you're betting on long-term upside, like real long-term. So not like two years, he's going to be an NHL player. But I think he's a guy who's two years away from being two years away. You know, you park him in in Ufa, he's going to probably play with their VHL team for a lot of next season, if not even the KHL. They had him up there at the end of the year. Uh, He wasn't particularly fantastic at the KHL level, but, you know, he he seemed okay. Um, But the VHL, he seemed like he, that was a good level of competition for him, the games that I saw him play down there. Um, I, I, I think he's got all the talent in the world to put it all together and overcome his shortcomings. Literally. I think that his work ethic, his speed, his skill, uh, could make him a really, really electrifying player. And with, with Alex Poshin, the things that where like, one thing I really try to do in my work is isolate things, the things that happen on the ice. Like if you have control of the puck, great. If you lose control of the puck, Why? Right, and how often is that why happening? And with Alexander Poshin, he loses control of the puck on his stick a little bit too much. That's that's the main thing I've noticed with him uh, in terms of the benefits of his game. Like defensively, you're not drafting him to be a defensive player. I think he's got the work ethic to, you know, I've seen him a few times pinching way up in the offensive zone and just creating chaos for the opposing team because they're taking too long of a decision, too long to make a decision and he makes them pay for it. You know, his speed, his skill, his his creativity, he's able to shoot and and pass to set up plays. Uh it's all there. So, when I look at that, I go, okay, give me a couple of years where you just keep refining the skill, keep improving in the things that make you special and just be competent defensively. You don't need to, you know, you're too small to be a big dude who clogs up passing lanes, but the hand-eye coordination to knock down loose pucks in open ice, um, you know, keep building on your strength and your feet to push through pressure along the boards. All of these things can really, really help turn him into a really special player. And there are multiple situations uh, where he is overcoming situations where you really would think that he would get pinned along the boards and removed from play entirely. But he'll get free and grab that puck back and keep an offensive cycle going. It's really, really good to see him do that. So I'm willing to bet on him. Um, if you can get him in the third round or something where people are thinking he might go, that's the easiest third round selection I'll ever have to make. And I think whoever drafts him is going to get a really interesting player, uh, to keep an eye on for the next, I'd say four, three, four years before we really think about it and think about bringing him over from the KHL. And that would be, I think he, I think he has the potential to be a, a really, really good hockey player. Uh, what do you want to see in how the NHL handles the playoffs? Should they use real team goal horns, music during play? What kind of stuff do you want to see? Uh, I do want fake fans. That would be great. Uh, I know they would do it in a not fun way, but I would really love to do it. Uh, like I would buy a cardboard cutout of myself for charity. I would do it. And I'm sure all of you would too. It would be hilarious. Uh, I, I would dig it. Um, music during play has never happened. So I don't think they would do that to the players. Uh, I mean, individual goal horns would be a lot of fun. I would like to see that experiment. Uh, you know, let the players kind of take over and have some fun with what they're doing. I mean, I know they'll take it way too seriously because that's how hockey players are, but you know, uh, have some fun with it and, and get creative. I mean, I, I think fake fans would be a good start. Uh, have you ever been to Disneyland? No. Uh where is Jack Finley on your list? He seems like a really projectable pro and on the young side of this draft class. So he's down in the bottom beginning of my 3rd round or 4th round. Um you're right, he's big. He skates pretty decently for a big guy. I think he's more of a def- you know, well actually his offense is actually pretty good. I I've seen him play a few times. I think his projectability is a little bit limited. Like I think he could play a bottom 6 role defensively for the NA- in, an, in an NHL situation um, you know, clever with his stick. He uses his reach really well, decent skater, you know, gets going around the ice pretty good. Uh, a guy I need to see more of for sure. I've seen him play a few times, but I don't think it's enough. Uh, I don't, I don't think there's enough again that, that what makes him special style that really bumps him up a tremendous amount for me. But again, like I I could see him easily at least being in a tier above where he is now. If I, if I see some transitional and offensive ability that i haven't seen yet uh he could easily be in that tier above where he's somewhere in the third round maybe but you know if you have a ton of high octane offensive players and he's available in the mid rounds like four or five fifth fourth or fifth round then i could think about it for sure his data is really really good on the results side but uh i'll need to track some data in game if i get the time to get to him dawson mercer reminds me of brock besser well that wouldn't be a bad thing and you might be right. It's just that he's got a, you know, he has the skill and the, the talent. It's just got to co- all come together. Have you heard anything substantial on Kuznetsov coming to Erie? If you, if so, do you believe that would benefit him? Um, no, I don't think he would. I don't think he would. Uh, I don't think he's planning on coming. I haven't heard anything specifically. Um, but SKA, seems to be giving him a lot of attention. Uh, they started playing him more and more and more. Uh, and <clears throat> frankly, if I'm him, I don't know why I leave that program and leave St. Petersburg to come play in Erie, Pennsylvania. Like, with all due respect to the OHL in Erie, uh, I think that the bigger ice will also help him sort of ramp his game up over time. Uh, you know, more open ice to work on his skill, work on his speed, you know, keep getting bigger and stronger in the gym, uh, and, and just keep working towards being as good as he can be. And I just, I'm not sure that Erie is the place that that's going to end up being his landing spot. I think SKA kept giving him more and more responsibility and he got better and better. And I don't think they'd really want him to leave. So yeah, I I think he's going to stay over there, but if he comes over, uh, great. I might have to go buy myself an Erie out jersey. Uh, which European player do you think would benefit most from coming to the CHL? I'll think about that and continue and, and circle back. Who would be more valuable, Caden Gouley or Brendan Schneider? I think it's Gouley, personally. I like his defensive ability. Um, Puck decisions aren't great, but, you know, he's a good passer, I would say. But in terms of, like, dumping pucks around the ice off the glass and out, like, he's going to be a good hockey man, pucks in deep, off the glass style guy if a coach wants that. Um, But his skating is good, I think. And I think that over Schneider is a call I would probably make on draft day. What do you think of Dylan Peterson? Really curious. Um, I love his skill, but I think he's a kind of player who has a lot of skill for someone that size, but doesn't really know what to do with it. He'll drive wide with the puck and just keep driving wide and driving wide until someone pins him against the boards. Um, you know, he plays with his head down a lot and doesn't really sort of survey the ice from what I've seen. Um, but the raw talent is really nice. I think that he's a player that if he starts slipping a bit, I don't think he will. I think someone will take him in like the second round or something because he's big and he's a decent skater for his size and his skills really nice. Um, I've seen him do some really beautiful stuff on the ice. Um, but it doesn't come out very often. Um, I don't think he uses his teammates very effectively. And I think that that's a big part of it. And both ends of the ice, his numbers haven't been great. Uh, so might be a long-term bet. I think he's a decent long-term bet. If he's available in the third or fourth round, I would certainly take a look at him. Um, but I think that based on his size and his skating and his skill, I think someone's going to take a bet on him earlier than that. Um, it's going to be really weird to see who gets drafted and where uh, this year, I think. Uh, definitely. Sergey, do you think Sabrango could be a steal? I'm not huge on Sabrango. I don't... I don't... I Again, another guy who I just don't think moves the needle enough. Uh at least not yet. Maybe in the future, but not not yet. Uh, Do you think that many may be underestimating the DEL and underrating the players that are coming out of it last year? Okay, so people are saying that because of Moritz Sider, and he had a decent year in the AHL. I say decent because it was fine. He had a really good year for an 18-year-old in the AHL, especially for a defenseman, for sure. Uh, I still think that that pick and his projection is just... was really rich at least for me maybe he becomes a top pair physical shut down decent offensive piece for the red wings for the next 10 years maybe i just don't see it a lot of his production was power play uh so that that masks things a bit um especially for defensemen but in terms of the del as a whole i think we're just in a bit of a golden generation right now like with with cider uh Stutzla, Piterka, Reichel now. Uh sometimes this happens where there's just a few kids that come out and really do a good job um in their respective leagues overseas and and come over. I think all of those guys are legitimate first round talents for sure. Uh but I don't know if the DEL, like if you look at the German junior leagues, there isn't a tremendous amount of overwhelming talent down there. Guys like Florian Elias uh who was a good scorer at the under 20 level this year, I have not been a fan of his Um, but he's scoring a lot in a league where if you have high level talent, they should be scoring a lot. Um, but he's not scoring that much. Like you look at guys like Dreisaitl's point totals in that league, um, Stutzla's, uh, Paterka, I don't think played there. Um, but those guys all scored a lot in that league as like a double underager. So I don't, I think people, I think the DEL also is prone to being a little bit more laid back defensively the defensemen there tend to relinquish a lot of open space to opposing teams. So it makes guys like Tim Stutzla um, much more able to walk into offensive zones with a ton of space and make a play. Uh, You don't see a lot of aggressive defending, I would say, at least not until it gets deep into the offensive zone. And that's just a tendency I've noticed. Uh, So people, I think people underrate it as a professional league, but I, I wouldn't say that it's one of the best leagues out there. I think it's still a step behind, uh, the Swedish league, Finnish league, KHL. Um, you know, but like the Allsvenskan kind of level is kind of where I see the DEL right now. Uh, and that's not the end of the world. Um, but it's not the, I don't, I don't think it's the greatest league I've ever seen out there. Uh, if Cole Caulfield were available in this draft, where would I have him? Ooh, interesting. Um, probably, like, in the 9 to 12, in the 9 to 12 range, I think. I think I had him at 7 or 8 last year. I think 9 to 12 would be a good range for him. I think I would take guys like Drysdale and Holtz and Perfetti ahead of him, but I probably would take him ahead of Anton Lundell. You know, like, I think Holtz, in terms of his skating away from the puck especially, brings a little bit more projectability to his game than Caulfield does. When Caulfield has the puck on his own stick, uh, I think he's very underrated in terms of his creativity and his offense in general, not just his shot. Uh, So I think that's where he kind of also has maybe Holt's beat a little bit, but you know, you could really sort of flip a coin on both of those guys in my opinion. But I think that in that range, you know, like would I take him over Jamie Drysdale? Maybe... Maybe if I had tracked data from Caulfield last year, I would I would know better. Um I would say anywhere from seven to ten would probably be where I would think about Caulfield, leaning more towards like nine or ten in that range, I would say. Uh Tony Ferrari, are you doing a Shakir Scouting report? That will be fun, terrifying, or both? I've thought about it, but I don't I don't like the idea of, I get the, I got the question a lot last summer of like, you need to make videos of who the worst picks were and who this and this. I don't like doing that. And I, I, like if I was him, if I was Shakir Mukhamadoulin or a player I name in my least favorite players, I don't want to see that. I don't want to put that out there personally. I think like with Shakir Mukhamadoulin or I guess any player, I want to be constructive. That's my goal is, is You know, learn from my own perspective, learn from me, but also be respectful and try to identify, you know, if I were talking to the player, you know, what video clips would I pull and how would I approach the subject? And with Shakir Muka a lot of the time, it's like you show him a clip and you go, what were you thinking? Or you show him a clip and you go, you sent a pass three feet and it bounced the whole way. What's going on? like, it's just, it's fundamental stuff that I think he needs work. And I mean, I don't, so I don't want to make a video that's like, everybody makes fun of him. So I'm going to jump on the train as well. I think that people who say he's not worth picking, I think there's defensemen that, that I think are worse than him that are ranked, you know, in plenty of lists that will not rank him. I think his raw tools, there's maybe the potential of salvaging a real high level offensive player there. But the decision-making, the fundamentals with passing the puck around the ice, um, a lot of it just is not really good enough for me, at least relative to where the other players are going. And the data doesn't line up to certain aspects that I look for in a defenseman, especially again, where he's reported to be looking at going. So I thought about it because it's... Probably something that should be done, but I don't know that the angle I would take it because you don't wanna be disrespectful, you wanna be constructive, but it to me, it's like making a report on you know uh let me just scroll down to the bottom of my list here like making a making one on i don't know like maxim nevelin i I look at him and I like guys like him, and I go, okay, like I don't know what I'm gonna say." that, that would be at all interesting because I think these guys are all long shots at this point. You know, like the reason I'm not going to do a hundred videos is because at some point the, the margins between these guys get so razor razor thin. Muka Madulan might be a guy that just kind of bucks that trend and we'll see. Um, but I just, it's, it's more about what would come out of my mouth during that video. Um, maybe i've i've thought about the idea of doing little written reports um that go that are separate from videos just so i can cross off more names and give thoughts on those names but people ask me i i would be surprised to see who's asked me about the players on this list and i've gone on article length about them or at least blurb length um i might make a video on guys who i wanted to make videos on but haven't gotten to but Considering my videos are fifteen minutes long, anyway, it might be really hard to compress everything down to like thirty seconds a player um like last year's r- 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 rankings video was tough enough um but that's a bit of a ways away, so we'll think it's I know you kind of asked that question facetiously uh at least I think you did, but uh, you know, I just don't want to turn the camera on and point out all the terrible things that a player's doing on the ice um, I think that's something that probably should be private. I mean, I'm here talking about the things he needs to work on anyway. But again, it's it's about putting a video on YouTube that might get seen by a bunch of people who know him or him himself. And I don't want to be out there being like, he's brutal. Um, because I do think he has some salvage- salvageable characteristics. It's just, I don't see him on the same level as some people out there who think he's a top two round defenseman personally. Um, but... Sixth round, late late rounds, you like the tools, you like the skating and skill, totally take a swing on him. Um, but I just think the expectations are already pretty massive based on where he's been ranked by some people. Heart of Vlad, what did you think of the Eric Guest video? I watched it. Uh, I mean, I'm not, it's, it's disappointing to say that I'm not surprised. Uh, I, again, I've never played super high level hockey, but I know lots of people who did. And I know lots of people who went to my high school. I Full disclosure, I went to a high school that had uh, a few, I would say, wealthy children. I went to school in Toronto in the city. Um, and they all played AAA hockey. And those kids were not the best kids that I've ever met in my life. I'm sure they're wonderful adults now. At least I hope they are. Uh, but when, they were, when we were kids, and I'm talking like high school age, and they were playing AAA hockey and everything not the nicest group of individuals as a group. And the weird thing is when you would meet them one-on-one and have, you know, meet them in the hallway and chat, they were fine. But it's that group dynamic, uh, especially when it was the hockey players that all played AAA and they would all hang out and it would be a mess. Well, not a mess, but just not a group of kids that really resonated with me and did things that I wanted. Um, so I think, I think though, you know, like I'm not surprised that stuff like that happens. And it's really disappointing to see as a fan of hockey, I know this has nothing to do with Eric Guest. I mean, it does, but it kind of doesn't. But the GTHL saying that they don't want to, you know, like they're, they're going to stay quiet uh, about, you know, certain incidents that may or may not have happened um, and and have no comment and whatever. It, like if there was ever a time to change things for the better when literal teenagers or children in some cases are saying that really traumatic things have happened when they've, like, I can't even imagine being a 10-year-old, like 10-year-old Eric Guest. You love hockey. It's what you want to do for the rest of your life. You dream about it. And by the time you're 20, you've gone through arguably you know, like some people I saw say, were saying things like, well, if he didn't want to do the, the drugs, then he shouldn't have done them. He could have just said, no, I would love to see that you at 16 years old with a 20 year old man telling you and forcing you to do drugs that you don't want to do. I would love to see what you would do in that situation. And if you did say no, I would love to see what some of him and his buddies would do to you. It, it's, it's not rocket science maybe you've never been bullied before. Maybe you've never been picked on before. Maybe you've never been abused. I don't know. But what happened to him is inexcusable. And, you know, and the fact that he, he felt that he needed to stay quiet and he couldn't name names because out of, out of loyalty to your teammates, imagine the thought process behind the loyalty that you have behind your, your own teammates who made you do something like that, who forced you and coerced you into doing that it's horrible. So like it starts at home and it starts with coaches and it starts with accountability. We, I think we live in a society where there are many, many places where people who are in power don't have a a fear of accountability. You need to be scared of the ramifications of your actions. Like the coach of that team should have been scared of what was going to happen when Eric went home and told his parents what happened, or his billet parents, or when teammates started talking about it, or whatever. Like at some point someone should have felt comfortable enough to say something in a situation like that. But they, the the victims had the fear of accountability, and the people perpetrating it didn't. And there's a lot of people where there's that and there's a lot of situations where there's that dynamic. You know, people who abuse other people are not afraid of accountability because a lot of the time it's never there. The The coach of that team is not afraid of the accountability because he knows that it'll either get swept under the rug or it'll just get ignored because that's just how the sport is. And if there ever was a time for kicking someone in the pants to say, no, like that's not, that's not how real life should work. Do you want this to happen in the most elite junior hockey programs in the world? You know, like, If this were to happen at the Red Bull Hockey Academy in Salzburg, Austria, do you think the same thing would have happened? Probably not. So why is it happening at the Kitchener Rangers? Why is this not the first time we've heard of this? Why are so many minorities, minority athletes coming out and saying these, telling these stories of just awful experiences, playing a sport that they love and having nothing done about it, or at least next to nothing, you know? And in in some cases, the leagues and, and organizations are hiding information deliberately so that, you know, you can't, you can just say, oh, it's not that big of a problem. It's, again, like there needs to be accountability. Like we're dealing with kids. So it's awful to see him say what he was saying, but you have to see it. You have to understand. And, you know, as parents, you have to be open with your kids and understand that if this is something like maybe he didn't tell his parents because he was embarrassed because he did drugs and it's like, well, why are we so uncomfortable with even just bringing up the topic with our kids and our kids are afraid of bringing it up with us, you know? So that to the point where even in a situation where a teammate is coercing you into doing it and forcing you to do it, if that's the case, then where are we as a, as a, as a family unit? Where are we as a society, as a community where that kind of thing can happen and it's either brushed under the rug or, uh, or ignored and, or, and definitely not even brought up to any sort of adult that's not in the room. You know, like that's, that's, that's too much to put on a 16 year old kid to, to feel uncomfortable telling, you know, I don't know. And I, and I have no time for the people who say that he just should not have done it. It's like, you don't understand. You don't under You, you were a teenager once too, but you were not, you, you would have done the same thing probably. And if you didn't, the, you, you would have been, you, they would have come at you harder next time. And it would have probably gotten worse because that's how bullying works. That's just how it works. And the only way that it stops is ham-fisted approaches that, you know, bring down accountability. And that's hard to do as a person in power, but I think we've kind of, in some ways, lost our direction on how to handle that. So if you haven't seen it, go watch it listen to the words that he's saying with his mouth, uh, and make your own judgments. But that kind of garbage is not, is not, it would not fly (laughs) if, uh, it just would not fly that, that guy who did that to him would be done. Like I would go to the co go to the league and just say, what can I do to this kid? Look what he did to my rookie. You know, how do I either get him off my team or suspend him for the rest of the year? I don't know. I don't care like, again, it goes back to that argument that we had earlier, a discussion, I guess, of like, people in the industry, do they know better? Do they, do they have something that people on the outside don't? And it's, you know, that understanding of a unit and how one little cog, if it's broken, or if one major part of your machine, a captain, an assistant captain, a first line scoring winger is just a horrible person who goes around trying to do this stuff to rookies. If that, and this wasn't in 1991 this was recently if you have that on your team what effect does that have on all of their teammates do they fall in line do they do they, what what happens do they get intimidated by their leadership that's not how i want my kids hockey team run that's not how i want anything run you don't you don't win by intimidating your your own team i've seen it happen before not in hockey but i've seen it happen and it doesn't make people feel good even if things might go on as normal it's damn, it does damage. So yeah. Anyway, I I've, I've gone on long enough about it. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. Uh, last year during your mock draft, you drafted Niels Hoaglander at 17. Still feeling good about that. Has he developed to your expectations? Yeah. I mean, he was always going to be a bit of a project. He's a long, long-term thing, especially defensively, but I'm a fan of him at 17. Um, I had him ranked in that range. Uh, I'll have to pull up my mock draft results from last year, but I don't have it in front of me. Um, but uh, I'm I'm trying to remember who was on the board. Um, it's also been only a year, so it's hard to uh, be uh, particularly, you know, definitive. I guess is the word I'm looking for. Yeah. So Hoglander at 17, Tomasino, Soderstrom, Broberg, York, Cider, Legare, Legare at 23. Uh, I think that's the guy who bailed. Yeah. Uh, Spencer Knight, Sam Poulin. Philly Hanalev. I, I feel pretty good about, about Hoaglander where I took him. Someone took Nick Robertson at 13. I don't know if Jack Rogan's in here. Um, but someone, someone, Jack, Jack is a Vegas fan. I think if I'm thinking of the same Jack, um, took, took Nick Robertson at 13. So there you go. Uh, Bobby Brink at 15. There you go. Um, but anyway, uh, it's kind of funny. I mean, and on the other end of the stick, I mean, where's, um, Connor McMichael, uh, Yeah, so Connor McMichael went 34th, and he had a pretty big year. But anyway, um I'm pretty I'm still pretty happy with, with Hoaglander where he was. Um kay. Does Lafreniere get suspended his rookie year? If I'm scouting him to counter him, like if I'm a team that's playing the team he's on, I'm going at him. I feel like he's a guy where you can kind of get under his skin right now. Um You know, I think he's a guy who doesn't like being challenged on the ice. He knows he's really, really good, and I don't think he likes challengers. Um, And if you do beat him, he can get frustrated. I've seen him do some really, really dumb things on the ice. Um, And I think that that would be an interesting angle to take to shut him down, get him off his game. I, I do think that that's part of maybe a weakness to him. Again, I haven't gotten to a full seven games on him, but what I've seen can be a little troublesome, I would say. Will Yan Mashak be given a solid steal, given his overall play and ceiling? I, I I like his potential. Not I don't think he's got. I don't think he's there yet, but but I think I think he's got potential. I, I I think his mobility is good, but his offensive talent I think needs some work at five on five. Um, but I do I do think there's a lot of potential. He's a guy who I think will need two more years in junior if he wants to stay in Hamilton. Um. And I think, I think that will do him well, uh, just to sort of round out his game and, and get everything up to his skating and mobility level. Like he's a guy who played wing a lot, but now he's in Hamilton and playing center. And I think he should be a center. Uh, but I just don't know what role he'll play in the NHL right now. So I can see why people might be questioning him, but I have him ranked in the first round. Um, and if he's available in the second round, I'm I'm taking the swing. Um, Michael Russo. If the NHL season starts in December, what are some events or games that could take place from July to November that would give teams that extra shot? Okay, so that's a really good point. Most European leagues are going to be back by the time the draft happens, um, if it is in say October or September. So you might see a situation where Lucas Raymond plays a game in the SHL, flies to North America to get drafted or gets drafted remotely, and goes on with his life. Um, guys like Marat Kuznerdinov are probably going to be playing hockey in August. Uh I feel as though Russia is kind of hamming it straight through this coronavirus thing um full bore, and they probably aren't gonna slow down anytime soon um and I think they're still expecting hockey to start on time so you're gonna see guys that might just have played a few games already next season uh get draft get drafted early on um but i I it would mostly be with you know locked into uh, European leagues. So Russia for sure, probably Finland. Um, who else? Maybe Sweden as well for the pro leagues and Finland's pro leagues and stuff. Um, KHL stuff, you know, like those leagues might get started up before the draft. Uh, but it really, who knows between now and then, I mean, at this rate, who knows what's going to be happening in six months. Is there a player in this year's draft who could be a captain at some point in his career? Well, Marat Kusnodinov certainly plays like a captain. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I'd be curious about Sorry, uh guys who who, you know. Like it's interesting. I mean, guys who it's hard to tell because it's so dependent on the group of players you're adding them to. Like an Anton Lindell might be an interesting one down the road. Uh you know, just guys who you would go to bat for, right? Jake Sanderson might be another one. Um you know, I I don't, I don't really know though, because being a captain also really depends on their personality. And I don't, I haven't met any of these guys. Uh, do you think the first round of this draft is comparable to 2015? And how does the first round stack up to other recent drafts? I get that question quite a bit. I mean, there's no Connor McDavid and Jack Eichel in this year's draft, but you know, there's a lot of Mitch Marner style, Dylan Strom style players out there level, I would say in terms of junior. Um, you know, I think it's got more depth in the top 10 than 2015 did, but 2015 had a lot of really good players, guys like Barzal and Connor outside of the top 10. It's up there. Uh, 20, I think it's, I think it's comparable. You could have that argument, especially at the top end. 2016, uh, I guess you asked about other ones recently. I think it's better than 2019. On the forward side, it's better than 2018. 2018 was a great defense year, and I don't think very many guys this year would scratch those guys. Drysdale, maybe, Um, but that was a very, very good defense year. Uh, 2017, I think this is a better draft year than that. Uh, Yeah, 2016. You know, I don't know. I don't know if Alexi Lafreniere is quite on the Austin Matthews level, but like a Quinton Byfield and Austin Matthews style. You know, if Quentin Byfield gets another full season. It's interesting to think, right? Like Quentin Byfield and Austin Matthews are they kind of relatively similar? I think Austin Matthews isn't as much of a playmaker as Byfield is, but they're also almost a full year apart. Um and Austin Matthews was one of the oldest draft eligibles out there. Quentin Byfield is one of the youngest. Um and they similar frames, I'd say similar styles of play. You know, people criticize Austin Matthews for his defensive play, but I don't think people really care when he's, you know, hitting dingers all night. Um, And I think Byfield might be one of those guys down the road, even though I think his defensive play is fine. Um, But, you know, I I would say that it's definitely right up there in in terms of draft quality, at least at the top end, for sure. How much are you considering advanced stats in your rankings as compared to the eyeball test? It's a good question. Um, So I definitely rely on some of the advanced data that I track manually more. It isolates mostly good teams that they're playing against. Uh, It isolates a sample of things I think that are easier to project to the National Hockey League. Like, scoring points is one thing, but to me there's more to the game than just scoring. You can't score if the puck doesn't get out of your own end. You can't score if you can't get the puck into the offensive end. You know, and I think in junior, with the... The, the huge depth and talent, you know, in terms of the range of talent from the best to worst players in junior, the bounces might just end up going your way a lot of the time by virtue of how bad the guy trying to break up your play is. But if you're a player who can take over the game and command the ice uh, and drive a lot of positive results on your own stick, then that's a whole other ball game to me. But those two players might end up with the same amount of production. So the eyeballs definitely help if there's results data that's good, I'll check the player out with my eyeballs. And if the eyeballs say, this player looks pretty good, then I'll start tracking the player. Or if it's the data doesn't look good, but my eyeballs, you know, like Jean-Luc Foudy was like that, where I go, okay, this was a guy everyone had in the first round. What's happening? His data's not good. I look at him play and I go, I need to see this guy play hockey. So I started tracking him and came away with a much different impression based on, on all kinds of things. Like, It allows you to cut through a lot of biases or a lot of situations that might make the player look worse or better. You know, like Martin Chromiak plays with Shane Wright, and I'm almost convinced that that Shane Wright and Zade Wisdom make Martin Chromiak look way better, uh, in my opinion. I think Zade Wisdom is a low ceiling, high floor style guy that you just love watching play, but Shane Wright is ridiculous. Um, And those three guys put together work really well off of each other, but just looking at the data for Martin Chromiak, you wouldn't notice. Uh, and the track data I have is a mixed bag, I would say. But, you know, if, if you know, you, you kind of have to use everything in unison, I would say. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to say because there's no right answer, but I definitely have been relying on my tracked work to maneuver. Like a big weakness I had last year was evaluating the first round and and cutting through, you know, when everyone is sort of up here in terms of talent level, how do you identify with your first pick of the draft who you're gonna take? And I had a really hard time with that because I just didn't have the database. I didn't have the access to video that I have this year. And this year being able to visualize what is happening on the on the ice when they're playing helps immensely in terms of identifying, okay, this player might be a little overvalued. This player might be a little undervalued. Who would I rather have and what are they doing on the ice and why and where would I take them? You know, like with a Murat Kuznudinov, the track data I have. Yeah, it's in the MHL, but he still, for that whole league, was extremely talented. Lots of players get drafted out of the first round from that league in, in prior years. And he just kept working his way up his depth chart on a team that had every reason to play him on the fourth line. So, you know, and the track data was really good. And I kept thinking, who would I take in front of him? And that list of players that I would take in front of him just kept getting shorter and shorter and shorter over the year. And he's a guy that I'm sticking my neck out for. Um, But you know, his his stats, you wouldn't, especially if you were at international tournaments, his stats wouldn't jump out at you. uh, But the track data I have indicates a very interesting brand of player that I would like to add to my team. Uh, and, and I wouldn't have noticed that just by looking at his point production, um, and just his international tournaments. So it kind of all has to work together. Any thoughts on Ole Bjorkvik Holm of the Mississauga Steelheads? I have seen him play a couple of times. Um, I don't have him on my sheet. I'll have to add him. Um, but yeah, I, I don't have anything concrete on him. I'll have to dig him up, uh, from the list. I think, I think he's, he's a, if I'm not mistaken, he's pretty big and he skates pretty well. Whoopsie doodle. Uh, he's pretty big and he skates pretty well, uh, which is good. Um, but I don't, I I haven't seen enough to be really definitive on, on him either. Um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Any thoughts on Logan Brown? Seems to have high potential, but he hasn't quite lived up to it. Well, he had a great year in the AHL this year. I'm a huge fan of Logan Brown. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, he went to Ottawa and had like one of the higher scoring rates on the team. Uh, okay. So eight points in 23 games, that still probably puts him pretty high in the scoring rate for the team, but over a point per game, he's been injury. He's been a bit injury plagued over the last little while, which kind of sucks. Um, yeah, like eight points in 23 games. I mean, Bobby Ryan had eight points in 24 games. Uh, but that's a bit of a different situation but let's just assume, let's multiply it by three. So if he played a full season's worth of games, let's say three times, so 69 games, 24 points, that would put him top 10 on team scoring, which is perfectly fine. And I think that he's got lots of potential still. He's only 22. So I imagine he's a full-time Ottawa Senator next year. Um, I love his creativity. His skill for a big man is really, really good uh and i'm a big fan of, of of logan brown for sure so i wouldn't count i wouldn't count him out especially considering the injury problems he's had um but yeah i'm a big fan of logan brown for sure uh, do you think byfield is being underrated some people have not going fourth or fifth which is absurd because it is absurd would you say you've grown on Faber as of late yes Uh, mostly because of his skating. I always saw him as a big physical guy, but it's like if you want Caden Gooley, but you know, um, miss him, then Faber could be a perfectly reasonable backup plan. I would say later in the draft, if the Devils are picking at six and only Drysdale, Perfetti, Holtz, and Askarov are available from your top 10, who do you pick? Probably if I'm the Devils, probably Perfetti. Cause you can play him at center or wing and it's perfectly reasonable. Uh, parking him with Jack Hughes or Nico Heeshear could be gross. Uh, he can play, make a play and shoot it, which is great. I think Alexander Holtz is a little bit more one-dimensional. I think he's got a good one dimension, but his defensive game isn't as good. I think Perfetti's defensive game is underrated. Um, but I think I think he, you know, Askarov. If that if that's the Devil's first pick, I probably wouldn't. But if Askarov is available with the with the Coyotes pick. Then then I would maybe think about it for the Devils, because having two number one goalies in Blackwood Askarov for the next however many years is a good problem to have. Who do you think would be a good fit in Calgary? Oh, and Drysdale would be a good pick too, but I just think that, you know, I, I think Perfetti would be a really, really interesting fit for that offense. Uh who do you think would be a good fit in Calgary? Well, Calgary likes rambunctious guys, like guys with a bit of an edge to them. Like Peltier has a bit of that. Um, you know, but they don't, they want skill. Uh, like I would be curious about Jack Quinn being a Calgary flame. If he's available, he probably won't. He probably won't be like Calgary with John Jason Paterka would be awesome. I think, you know, real hardworking, high motor, good skater, um, you know, aggressive, aggressive, but good offense as well. I think Paterka with the flames would be an interesting pick, uh, for sure. Other ones, um, who's got a bit, I mean, if they swing on Jeremy Poirier, it would be interesting. They've got, they have some good defensemen that have developed through there. Maybe he's another one, but he's a bit of a longer term bet and he's a, he's a risky one. Uh, yeah, I would, I would say out of all these guys in this range, maybe Jacob Perot, if he's available, could be a good Calgary flame, but Paterka would be a good one, I think. Uh, Oh, Tony, you actually kind of meant it. Um, yeah, I'll think about it. If I can figure out the right angle to take without being just negative the whole time, then sure. And I do want to get to a full seven games because I want to really identify exactly what it is. That's not great about his game. But anyway, uh, we'll see thoughts on Linus Carlson. Good. Not as good as he was with Carl Koga this year. I don't think, but he's good. Uh, again, the All Allsvenskan kind of caters to players like him whose skating might not be fantastic, um, but he's got good skill and he can find the back of the net really well. So I, I like him. I always liked him in his draft eligible year. Um, I- I'm curious about how his game will-, will continue to grow over the next little while for sure. Michael Jang, you get more handsome by the week? Dude, I don't think so. This is this is getting mad. This is really getting crazy. I really, really need a haircut. Uh boy. And for some reason, I won't let my girlfriend clip, clip my hair. Do you think Jarvis being picked around nine or 10 would be a big reach? Yes. We're going to close it out pretty quick here. Cause it seems like my connection is falling apart. Um, what do you think of Drew Rant's potential at this point in his career? He uh, kind of know what he is by now. He's what 27 or 8. Uh, you know, he's a guy who I think just is what he is now. He's 25. Okay. So he's, yeah. So he just turned 25. I mean, I think Drew Ann is a fine hockey player. Um, but you know, I don't know what it was that held him back from a good NHL career. Um, you know, so I, 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 I don't know, honestly. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, I don't think there's much more room for him to grow as a player. Uh, he kind of, you know, usually when you're 25, he is what he is. So if he's a 50 point guy for the rest of his career, I wouldn't be surprised. I think he's got the talent to be more. He's got the potential I'd say like, but I don't think it's likely that he gets there because he's already as old as he is. Um, always liked Drouin, loved his skill, but I get the feeling that between the ears, uh, there's some stuff that just kind of holds him back, uh, from really reaching what he's capable of. Um, okay. So, I mean, if you have ideas for my channel, just fire me a DM or something, uh, guy, if you, if you want like on Twitter or something, I don't know. Um, yeah, just, just fire me a DM or something. I don't know. We'll, we'll we, we can chat about pretty much anything. Uh, what would your draft order be for the US NTDP defenseman? Uh, okay. So NTDP defenseman ordering them. Um, actually let's just go to this one.
1: us usdp okay and defenseman
0: okay so okay so i've seen these guys play quite a bit um sanderson for sure would be number one i mean i have them in order here sanderson powell faber and then uh, these guys aren't the ones i have ranked i would i've liked truscott in brief moments um, not a huge fan of Gallatin. Lash, I think guys like Gallatin, Lash, and Cleven are guys that I probably wouldn't pay a ton of attention to. Truscott, I think, has okay potential. Um, but I'm kind of skeptical. Uh, I, I don't think there's quite enough there in the tank right now for me to jump and take in the chance at picking in. Um, so yeah, I, I would definitely say Sanderson, Powell, Faber are the three that I'm really paying attention to. And then sort of low key Truscott is in there as well. Uh, Could Holtz develop a decent defensive game? Maybe. I mean, he's got the speed to do it. I think he's got the feet that, 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 you know, and he shows the tendency to get physical along the boards from time to time. Uh, But I I think the decision-making is something that you can refine. Um, But I don't think you're looking for him to be a decent defensive player. You want him scoring goals but you need to be competent defensively in order to enable that. So I think, uh, I think it's possible for sure. Uh, it shouldn't be that difficult to make him decent. It's just that he's got a longer way to go in his own end than most other guys at the top end of this year's draft in, in my view. Uh, thoughts on Carl Grundström. I always like Carl Grundström. I know he's, uh, you know, he's with the Kings and, you know, physical hardworking, you know, Swedish winger who I, I like, but I think is sort of a bottom six high energy guy that's that's kind of what his peak will be you know not a ton of finesse to his game not a ton of speed or skill but he's good i think he's a good physical player overall um and should be a role player for the kings who already have a lot of offensive weapons anyway um so i, I i'm a fan of his um so pretty pretty limited but but pretty limited in terms of his upside i should say who are your favorite physical players from the draft okay I mean, I like Caden Gooley. If you had to twist my arm and pick a physical guy, it would be him. Paterka's up there as well. Um, Jake Sanderson isn't the most physical guy, so I'll probably will leave him off. Uh, who else? Um, you know, you just don't see it a tremendous amount. I mean, you don't, you don't see a lot of throwing guys who throw their weight around a lot. Uh, and I don't really rank them extremely high. Like Ridley Grieg is really sort of aggressive. He kind of flies around the ice a lot and, and attacks opponents. Uh, Sean Farrell from time to time can do it. Um, definitely Caden Gooley though, in terms of like physical players who can also still play. I, I like him. Um, Zade, wisdom as well as a physical player who I've really, really liked as well. So there's a few, but it's kind of rare to find that these days. Uh, usually, that's the style of game that really talented players fall back on when they're quick and, and aggressive. Paterka, I think, is also another physical player um, who has a lot of actual talent that can play the game uh, with the puck on his stick as well. If there's a player who jumps into the top ten where no one had him ranked last year, like Cider, who do you think is most likely? Um. Maybe Connor Zari. That would be the first name that comes to mind. I mean, Jack Quinn, I think, is also the one that I think people won't really be expecting top 10. Um, you know, usually those are guys that jump up that that really, you know, last minute you hear a lot of really interesting things about teams really liking them. I think Connor Zari could be that person. Um, I mean, Seth Jarvis as well could do it as well, but I I think Connor Zari just has a weird feeling that someone's going to really take a look at him. Um, you know, if someone like Caden Gooley goes top 10, I would not be shocked, but it would be like, you know, the surprised Pikachu kind of shocked vibe. Uh, anyway, uh, let's bang through these. Cause I got to get out of here. Cause it's uh, been a while. How would you compare Mitch Miller to guys like Fensori and Jones? Oh, I mean, I, I think Miller has more of a two-way game to, than both of those guys. Um, I love how Fensori gets around the ice. Uh, Miller, I think, you know, in terms of a straight-line explosive skater, I think Miller has more than Fensori. But in terms of the mobility, Fensori brings more, and Zach Jones is a guy that I'm always kicking myself for not ranking higher. Uh, I should have trusted my gut on him, even though I had him ranked really high from compared to most people. I, I still had him way too low. I love Zach Jones. The more and more I think about it. Um, Mitch Miller, I think, has a good two-way presence who can, and he can skate. And I think that those are some good things to have in his game. Uh, okay, last few questions. Thought on, thoughts on Jack Quinn and how successful he'll be in the NHL. He'll play in the NHL. I had someone tell me that he thinks he can play next year, and I think he's an underrated playmaker. Uh, anyone who tells you it's Marco Rossi's fault he's scoring so much is lying. Uh, they didn't play very much together. Uh, and I think it was more likely that Jack Quinn's line mates didn't finish the chances he created. Um, it's probably one of the best releases in the draft. Like the, his, his shot doesn't have a tremendous amount of power, but it's quick. Um, and he can get it off into the net really quick, which is pretty impressive. I still think though, that he's a pretty low ceiling player. Like he's not the most complicated player, uh, good offensively, but defensively he's not, you know, he's not a great two way player. Um, but in the offensive end, he can be absolutely lethal. And so I think first round pick, sure. I have, you know, if you, if you wanted to bring him up, I'd think maybe 15 to 20 would be where I'd start thinking about it. Um, but anything after that, I'd say swing away in the twenties, uh, good trigger man, clever playmaker. Uh, but you know, if you wanted like Seth Jarvis and missed, he might be a good one. Uh, he might be a good option. Uh, thoughts on Luke Hughes compared to Jack and Quinn. I need to see more of Luke, but I, I, I like Luke a lot, but I need, uh, I need to see more before I can answer that question. Uh, okay. Uh, last question of the night from Sage Cole 24. Hello. Looks like Weasblatt moved up your rankings. What have you seen from him that caused him to move up? Thanks and have a good night. Data. The data I've been tracking on Ozzy Weasblatt is insane. Um, I think every single one of his shot attempts has been medium or high danger. Uh, he gets a ton of those in a given game. Uh, it's it's insane. He's a really, really talented player. I think he's a more potential player. Like he's not, I don't think he's as well-rounded as he needs to be, but I think he's mobile enough to be a center. He's a good passer, clever clever playmaker, uh, real no-nonsense offensive player as well. I, I really, really like Ozzie Wiesblatt the more and more I watch him, and I actually went in expecting to not like him based on what I've seen with my eyeballs but the data that i've tracked especially when he plays center uh can be really really good when he's on when he's on he's really good and when he's not good i've seen him be pretty bad like one of the games i tracked he got benched for a whole period because he just was not good uh, not engaged you know not moving his feet um careless with his passing but when he has his head in the game from my view he's a first round pick to me so if you can get him in the second then sure take that swing um, but late first, I, I, I think I'm pretty comfortable with him there based on the data that I've got on him. Uh, okay. Thank you very much, guys. This was lovely. Uh, apologies for the little hiccup there with the, uh, stream. Uh, my, my streaming software says I was broken there for a few seconds, but apparently wasn't. So anyway, uh, thank you very much. I, I guess I'm kind of traumatized from the multiple times when my stream has dropped midway. Um, but thank you very much for joining me. If you missed any of it, you can watch it archived on YouTube or you can, uh, listen to it on your favorite podcasting platform as soon as I get the edit done. Uh, so thank you very much for joining me. This was lovely as always uh, next week. Uh, so for patrons, if you're a patron, we'll be sending out the registration for the mock draft and it'll be public spots filled up really quick last year. So we'll probably announce it early Monday, Tuesday next week. Uh, and Wednesday will be when we do a lottery just to sort of order the the guys uh, and girls, if you want to sign up, that's cool too. Uh, but yeah, so we just wanted to, uh, we'll get that organized. And, um, I will also say like, please only sign up if you intend on participating. We had a couple of people last year who signed up, signed in to the document and then left. And I don't know, it's just is way less fun Uh, when people make your picks for you and they're terrible on purpose. It just doesn't make as much fun. So if you're looking at participating, it probably will not be the week after next, just to give people a bit of extra time to, to, you know, make sure they can, they can make it. Um, But yeah, so registration will be in the next week and then probably two weeks after that, uh, after next week's live stream. Um, we'll do the actual mock draft and and do a load-up show the week before. Uh, But anyway, thank you for joining me, uh, and uh, we'll see you around. Stay tuned for a couple of videos, hopefully between now and next week.